Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. So hi, it's Pauline. Welcome to a new episode of Meet the Expats. Today I meet with Mike of Greenback Expat Tax Services. And he's going to share his expat journey as well as the results from the latest expat survey that they did in the US. Hi, Mike. How are you? Doing great, Pauline. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. Where are you tuning in from today? I'm currently calling in from Michigan in the U.S. I'm uh, right. taking a temporary break from the expat lifestyle. Okay, okay. Well, you'll tell, tell us about that expat journey and, and the break. I'm going to let you introduce yourself briefly, and then we can dive into your, your journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Pauline. And thank you again for having me. This is uh, very exciting. So I am originally from the U.S., but lived all over several different states, Michigan, Idaho, Mississippi, Utah. So growing up, didn't spend much time overseas, but was used to a a transient lifestyle in the sense of, yes, (laughs) many moves, many moves. (laughs) And so, uh, but as I got older, so I first, my first uh, major experience overseas was I served a two-year mission trip for my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in India. And so after... Two years in India, and uh, we were not in the five-star hotels. It was pretty <laughs> rustic. So after that, I realized I love India, love the people, um, but it was it was difficult from a living perspective. And so I realized I could live it's anywhere. Quite a shock. That. <laughs> yes. yes, it was. It was. Um, but again, I loved it. I loved the people. Uh, the food's amazing. So after that, I tried to live overseas as much as I possibly could. I spent right. time in London doing a study abroad. I did an internship in Germany. I did another study abroad in Barcelona in grad school, uh, lived, did a field study through school in Tonga, and I did one in Southeast Asia, spent some time in Southeast Asia on another study abroad. And then <laughs> I, most recently, I was living in Korea for a couple of years, working for Samsung, and I living over there with my wife and, and then just one child. But uh, yeah, so... Have spent a good amount of time overseas um, yeah. and love the expat lifestyle, love uh, the exploration and the adventurous side of it all. Yeah, so you've been really all over and to the different continents. What what brought you back then to Michigan? <laughs> Great question. Great question. So about five years ago now, uh, we were living over in Korea. We were on the 18th floor of a 30-story apartment building. Great views. Yes. (laughs) It was amazing. Uh, Great views and all that. But we had two little kids and uh, it was becoming increasingly difficult uh, to live the apartment lifestyle Mm. with the the kids. And so we moved back to be a bit closer to family uh, as the kids were younger, um, still are younger, and I wanted to be closer to family. It was convenient timing. We moved back in 2018. And then, of course, we had the pandemic and yeah. our friends in Korea had very difficult time, difficult to leave their apartment buildings and all that. So we were fortunate to have a house. I've made the move. Yes. Yeah. Just so, on time. Yeah, exactly. We got lucky. All right. OK, so, yeah, family is something that drives drives a lot of expats back home at some point, especially when you have kids. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But. We plan to live overseas at some point in the future. Um, my wife would say she'd move tomorrow, uh, <laughs> but the logistics are a bit more difficult than that. But uh, yeah, we love love living overseas and love uh, being expats. 
All right. So you moved back to Michigan in 2000, well, right before the pandemic. I, I'm guessing this whole expat life and life abroad brought you to um, Greenback. What is the whole story and why this direction? Yeah, yeah. So it, Greenback was actually founded over a decade ago by Dave and Carrie McKeegan. And they are expats themselves, and they found that they had trouble with their taxes. It was difficult. It's complex. I think many expats can relate to that. And so they founded Greenback with the goal of making it as simple as possible. And over the past decade plus, they've done that, and they've created this wonderful company that helps expats get connected to the right accountants to be able to complete their taxes and make it as easy as possible on them. And so I actually joined the company a couple of months ago. I was brought in as the new CEO. Right. As uh, Dave and Carrie are are focusing on their next stage of life. And so I am, uh, like I said, I've been here about two months now. Um, (laughs) But it's something that fits my background. I come from financial services on the professional side. And then, of course, on the personal side, being an expat myself, it was a a wonderful thing. You've seen those challenges. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I can relate very closely to some of the challenges that our customers face. I can imagine. Um, Because indeed, so we've already chatted about this briefly on the podcast, and I'm sure you can talk to it a lot more. For those who don't know, U.S. is one of one of those three countries where when you're a resident and you live abroad, you actually have to both file and pay taxes. So there's a lot going on there. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And that's that's a challenge. Uh, as an expat myself, I had to deal with that and figure that out. And, and my situation when I was an expat was relatively simple. There are others who own businesses overseas mm. or own businesses in the U.S. and overseas or have a different investments and categories. And so it becomes increasingly complex. And that's where Greenback comes in and can really be helpful with some of those situations. I'm sure. Okay. And so we're going to dive into this survey that uh, Greenback did among all these American expats. So there are about 9.5 million U.S. citizens who are actually currently expats, which is quite crazy. And I'm sure it's only a tiny percentage of of the uh, U.S. population in the end. Right, right. So what was this whole survey about? We're going to dig into a couple of numbers just after. Yeah. Yeah. So we, this is a survey that Greenback has done for several years now, and we like to keep a pulse on our finger on the pulse of what's, what's happening with expats. What are their sentiments, particularly around taxes, of course, being a tax services company. And so we surveyed this year, we had 3,200 U.S. expats uh, respond to the survey who are living and working across the world, uh, 122 countries this year. And we ask a number of questions about taxes, helping to understand what people are feeling, what they're understanding, um, and what some of the challenges are that they're facing, particularly around taxes, but also just general living conditions, being expats. All right. Did anything, before we dive into these questions, what I picked out, anything that jumped to you when the results came in? Yeah, yeah. I think something that was surprising to me, I, I hadn't seen the results of the survey before. And I, as an expat myself, I was surprised how many people are contemplating renouncing their U.S. citizenship. Mm-hmm. And it's primarily due to tax related returns. Uh, so there's almost 20 percent of Americans that answered the survey 
are at least considering it uh, with around 6% planning, actually planning to renounce their citizenship, Okay, which really speaks to the complexity of the taxes and that additional burden. Hmm. And so do you think that the reasons of revoking their residency or citizenship is, is it only due to the tax filing and tax paying or would there be other, other reasons also underlying reasons? Yeah, there's other reasons as well. I think that taxes and the, both the, the burden in terms of the cost, the, as mm -hmm. you mentioned, U.S. is one of very few countries that require you to pay U.S. taxes when you're living abroad, but also the process and the complexity. It's, it's not like a, you know, half an hour exercise where you can go on and review your numbers and click OK and you're done. You have to gather all of your information and there's different rules depending on your personal situation and where you're living and different interactions between the U.S. tax code and your local tax code where you're currently living. So definitely taxes, I think, are the, the driving primary driving reason. Right. But other reasons can be lack of representation. They feel they're not part in the U.S. They might not feel as much a part of the country or might not feel mm. that what they are, that they're being well represented. And so they're saying, hey, you know, I, I don't feel that I'm a part of this anymore. I'm, I'm paying a significant sum of money to be a part of the United States. Right. So they might feel that, hey, it's, it's not representing me. I'm paying a lot of money to this. I'm just going to, to cut ties and, and make a change. So you um, mean in terms of policies, regulations that would be voted because you're still, well, you're still voting for, for part of the elections. Correct. Correct. Yes. Right. U.S. citizens can still vote uh, yeah. through mail-in ballots and then things like that. Um, but they feel, um, and this is me reading into the data a little mm. bit and having had conversations with some, but it's, they feel that they're not represented enough for what they're having to pay, what they're having yeah. to go through in terms of keeping their U.S. citizenship. And so they're okay. making that decision. And for many, it's a difficult decision. Uh, you of know, course. It's, it's, it's your citizenship. It's your country. Yeah. And you're saying, hey, I, I'm no longer part of that. And that's a big thing. And it also creates complexities afterward, too, of course. You know, you can't just flash your U.S. passport to, to get into the country anymore. You have to yeah. go through a visa process. You have to figure out, well, where's your passport going to come from? Do you have dual mm. citizenship or something like that? So there's a lot to consider about renouncing your citizenship which is why I was so surprised that so many, almost a The fifth. number is so high. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I guess people who are actually contemplating it have made the decision that there's no, for them, there's no going back home in terms, I'm never going to live again in the US. Obviously, you would not make that decision if you're thinking of just being an expat temporarily. Exactly. It's, yeah. a, it's a major life decision, for sure. So it's full, <laughs> long-term, long-term change, definitely. Okay, and so how do you think this this decision would influence the whole expat community and their relationship with the U.S.? We talked a little briefly about the passports, but are there any other other trends that we might be seeing? Yeah, so I think that the um, that as you have additional U.S. citizens taking that stand, and it's a very strong signal. It's about as strong a signal as you can make to your to your politicians, uh, whether they be local or national. And so I think that if this trend were to become even larger and grow, uh, gain additional traction, I could see some additional attention being paid to expats if there are enough that are making their, renouncing their citizenship, if it could 
hit if it gets to a critical mass and hits mainstream media, I could see something changing there potentially. I, I think we're a long ways off from that. Yeah. But if the trend does continue, then I could see that getting some enough of a spotlight that it begins to draw some attention and the the politicians might be able to might take the time to think and say, okay, what are the challenges that these this group of Americans are facing living overseas and how can we address that? That could potentially lead to some changes on the tax laws and things. But again, I think that we're, we're a long way yeah. from that. But, that. but there's potential. For sure. Well, hopefully, hopefully there is. Um, what you're talking about is getting that attention from the media and not being visible. Right? I, having been an expat myself, I feel like you, you do feel a little bit of isolation when you're abroad from your home country. Of course, there's the local consulate. There's cultural things going on in some countries where you have these relationships and there's an embassy and things like that but still it's 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 a little bubble and I don't know to what extent there is that much communication going on back and forth and again it depends on the size of the community in each country so how would you see it maybe bubbling up to give it more exposure yeah, I think that um, that it's something that is a challenge, but it, with the number of expats growing, you mentioned over 9 million U.S. expats, and that number is growing every year. I think that the COVID pandemic helped people realize, hey, we don't need to be tied down to the U.S., uh, tied down to our desks, and then right. more broadly tied down to our desks in the U.S. We can, with certain occupations, go and live overseas and, and spend some time um, exploring or, or settling in a different place. Uh, if they're looking for a more permanent change. And so as that number grows, that's where I could see uh, over time, that's where politicians might start paying a bit more attention to that. Because as mm. more of their constituency is no longer living physically in right. their... In their in uh, the country, yeah. Exactly, yes, yes. And so that's where that influence could grow and that's where expats could have a louder voice. And, and expats can also, you know, you, you attend these um, events in your local countries, you have, you express your concerns or frustrations or, or whatever issues you're facing to your local representation in that individual country. So uh, whether that's through the consulate or the, through the embassy, there is an opportunity to express that. And then also writing, writing to your, to your local politicians, they, yeah. um, a lot of them, whether they're they're probably not responding themselves, but they certainly have staff. Uh, Someone that, listens. Exactly, exactly. Someone reads the mail at some point. Yes, so. and if there's enough letters coming across their desk, it's like uh, Harry Potter with the owl. Eventually, <laughs> one of those letters actually gets through. All right, nice. So it's still completely linked to this um, of Americans wanting to, to, to renounce the big part is being the fact that they're required to file taxes and are required to pay some, while they believe they shouldn't be required to, to file them, what are the options available or what could make that process easier to smooth it out, smooth it out basically? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's some things that could be done on a policy level, and then there's also things that uh, could be done under the current policies that expats could do to kind of help themselves get prepared and get through the, the, the painful process of filing their taxes, because it is painful. So I think that from a policy perspective, so a, um, from a government perspective, 
there's a few things that they could do. One is they could create a dedicated office for expat affairs, something that is right. specifically focused on this audience and can help address the challenges that they face, the issues they face, because they are unique. They're, they're very different if you're um, yeah. living overseas compared to, compared to in the U.S., of course. You could also mm-hmm. include them in the policymaking process. Make sure that you're gathering their feedback in addition to your, to your home constituents' feedback. And then the government could also be better at providing additional information and resources to expats. I, something that we've found is that sometimes the, the tax guidance is a little bit vague. There's some hmm. room for interpretation. And I, our accountants are wonderful at that, in, interpreting that and helping guide our clients to the right answers. But uh, that is something that the government could do on a, on a macro level to be able to, to help the, uh, to help expats all over the world and um, with their taxes it's yeah. so funny because everything that you've suggested sorry i feel could be applied to any country I, i'm just comparing sure. with france because obviously that's the only place where I, I file my taxes but when i was abroad i also had to file for taxes for different reasons and there was no one in office to answer the specific expat questions of but i'm under a different different regulation or policy and yeah it's very, very difficult to get those answers. Yes, it is. It is. And because of the, and I'm assuming that other countries are similar to the U.S. I know yeah. that U.S. has a very complicated tax code, but we're not unique in that respect. There's mm. Nobody likes doing taxes anywhere in the world. Um, at least I should say 95% of us. Um, so, yes, I think that there, there could and should be more knowledge that is shared, whether it's resources that are provided, whether it's a person that could answer your questions. So that's kind of on a macro level. And then on a more micro level, something that I, expats could, could be doing, um, particularly for the U.S., as that's our target market, but also other countries as well, uh, you can try to get ahead of it. Don't wait until the last minute, because what we see in our business, of course, is once you hit those deadlines, once you're approaching those deadlines, mm. because they're the same for, these, for the U.S., 9 million expats are all trying to file their taxes around the same time. At the same time, time yeah. Exactly. And so people get busy. The accountants get busy. If you, you know, phone someone up or, or send a note saying, hey, I need some help on my taxes a week before the deadline, it's very, very yeah, difficult to find. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. Uh, so you need to be prepared a bit earlier. Um, you need to start gathering your information even months beforehand just to get things squared away. Make sure that you have all the paperwork you need. Line up your your process, whether it's you're going with an accountant, someone like Greenback who can help and, and take the weight off your shoulders, or you can go, there's a number of DIY options, software options that you can use. Um, but get that sorted out. So that way you have your, if you're going with an accountant, you have your accountant set and, and ready to go before the deadline actually hits. And then as you're going through the process, educate yourself. Um, go ahead and look for those resources. As I mentioned, there's it can be difficult to find official sources from the government, but there's a number of um, people on forums or knowledge articles, blogs. There's probably your, your situation is, well, it might be uncommon. It's probably not unique. Someone else has, has faced that challenge before. And so you can look for guidance. Now, you do have to be careful to make sure that it is the correct guidance. Um, you don't want to just take anyone's advice off the Internet. Yeah. But um, if you're... Uh, if you're looking for advice, you, you can find it. And, and then if you, hey, if you ever need to, to wave the white flag and, and call in a professional, uh, then certainly companies like Greenback are, are here for you. Great. 
switching gears a little bit, uh, the report highlights the preference for being referred as expats rather than digital nomads. Mm-hmm. And how expats really <laughs> feel that it's important to identify as an expat rather than a world traveler. Can you speak to this aspect a little bit and the insights around it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The vast majority I prefer to be described as an expat or describe themselves as an expat, at least those who, um, who responded to our survey. Hmm. And I think that there's uh, and well over half, um, I would say. So, and I think that that speaks to the different mindset that you have as an expat versus as someone of, as a digital nomad or world traveler or something along those lines. There's a level of cultural assimilation, integration into the host society, a level yeah. of permanence that goes into being an expat versus a digital nomad. Uh, the very do. word nomad, you're, you're traveling around, you're not, you're not putting down roots anywhere. Whereas an expat, you're settling overseas. You're living in that country. It may not be forever, but you're really putting down your stakes. You're you're setting up your mm. tent and you're um, trying to assimilate into that country. And I think that they face different challenges when they do yeah. that. I know that for myself, when I go to a country on a study abroad, for example, I know I'm going to be there for three or four months or something. It's a much different mindset than when we moved to Korea. And it's like, hey, we could be here for Two years, we could be here for 10 years, we could be here forever. We don't know. We were keeping our minds open. And so I think that that mindset is just very different in how you approach the challenges and problems and the, and the specific challenges and problems that you face. And I think that that goes into that labeling. They do prefer, strongly prefer that label of expat as opposed to a digital nomad, because I think they're actually different things. Yeah. Um. So you say there's different challenges that you approach. Could you dive into a little bit the difference. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think the biggest one that I noticed for myself and in talking with other expats is the the mental approach of it, uh, kind of how you deal with um, your thinking about moving to the different country. And it's kind of a difficult right. con- concept to explain, but as an expat yourself, I think you can kind of relate to that where if you're going there for a set amount of time and it's you know maybe less than a year or something, it's much easier to view it as transitory. You don't have to figure certain things out. You don't need to find, I don't know, a dentist or a doctor Mm. that is your dentist, for example. You can go get dental care, but you don't need to put as much time or not as much energy into settling. You just need to find temporary solutions. I think it's all about what what you just said. It's all about the settling, Mm -hmm. um, where I, I saw it more in the housing where, you know what, it doesn't matter. I don't have to make it my home. Exactly. Because it's only going to be a transition and perhaps it's going to be Airbnb for six months or or something like that. Whereas expat, you're actually going to be looking for the right neighborhood, the right yeah. house, uh, furnishing perhaps and getting all your contracts. Digital nomad, if you're staying three months, you're not going to bother with subscribing to the internet, uh, electricity, right. water bills, social security number exactly. <laughs> or anything because exactly. you're just passing through. Uh huh. That's exactly right. And and having significant others or or children, especially, adds a mm. whole different extra complexity to an it. extra layer. And yeah. Schools <laughs> and kids need to go to the doctor more frequently for checkups and shots and all of those different things. And so it creates a level of complexity that just adds on to that. And 
Whereas if you're, even if you're taking your family, if you're going for three months, six months, you can kind of plan ahead and get the visits taken care of in advance, come back when you, after you return from your, from your digital nomad experience. But as an expat, there's a, it's just a much larger, larger upfront burden that it takes to do that settling, as you said. Yeah. So staying on this same topic, there has been recently a new visa developed actually for digital nomads. How does it work exactly? Because I, I don't think all the countries actually deliver this, this type of visa. Spain has recently started. Yeah, I think that especially with the pandemic, but also just generally the trend of increasing number of expats, different countries are taking different approaches to it. Some of them are kind of putting up the barriers and saying, hey, we have, we have enough people. We don't want you there. We're going to make it even more complex. And this is the opposite. This is countries saying, hey, we see that you have a desire to live in our country and we want you to bring the additional income, the additional uh, population growth, whatever that might be, into our country. And so they've created different programs and different countries have gone about it different ways. But there's digital nomad visas, golden visas. Essentially, what they're trying to do is make it give you a shortcut or maybe not even a shortcut, but a clear path toward whether it's citizenship, whether it's residency and allowing you a clear path to be able to enter that country. Now, there are still typically it varies by country. Of course, there are still fairly stringent requirements. You have to live there for a certain number of years. Sometimes you have to purchase property or start a business in that country, employing uh, local local residents uh, into your business. But in, in the end, what they're trying to do is to help you assimilate into their country while also helping them grow their population as well as, frankly, increase their taxes, um, yeah. and increase their income and, and raise revenues. the GDP yeah. of the country overall. Makes sense. I mean, there's an opportunity. Why wouldn't they take it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If, if all of these you know, expats are going to come into their country, you might as well uh, set them up properly and make sure that they're paying taxes and, and all of that. Yeah. For sure. They're making it a little bit easier. It's a good start. Yes. yes, exactly. Exactly. At the end of the day, it's they're trying, they know that you want to be there. And so they're trying to help you have a clear path to get there. All right. Anything else that you want to add on this survey? Uh, I think it's just the big, like I said uh, earlier, one of the big takeaways is just how complex and burdensome the current tax system is for American expats specifically but also mm-hmm. for, for other countries as well. And so I would say that, yes, I, certainly if you want to give it a shot to go it alone and figure it out yourself, there are resources available. Uh, our website has a number of knowledge center uh, resources, so greenbacktaxservices.com. We have a number of articles that you can go to and look at to help educate yourself on the different challenges and topics. But if you ever need help, there's Greenback uh, is certainly here to help, and we have a network of fantastic accountants that have done this for many, many years. And I really take the burden off of the individual and help you get done with your taxes and go back to living the adventure and the the real purpose why you went overseas and and live that adventurous life. Okay. Let's move on to your recommendations then. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the very first thing that came to my mind, like I said, I've lived in a number of different countries, but the first thing that came to mind was the the cafe scene in Seoul in Korea. Okay. And it's very unique. There are many, many different types of cafes to explore and to visit. 
So they, a lot of them have different themes. So you could go to a Hello Kitty themed cafe and everything is Hello Kitty, for example. Or there are a number, one of my personal favorites and, and my daughter who was uh, two or three years old at the time, she, the ones that she loved were the animal cafes. So this right. could be, there were puppies and cat cafes and there'd be, so you'd be sipping your coffee or, and a cat would walk by and you could pet the cat or anything. Okay. Um, but there were some that were a bit more, a bit more adventurous, I would say. There were some that had pigs. There were some that had goats. Okay. Uh, I went to one that had raccoons and there were raccoons right. and you could buy little snacks for them and feed them. Um, so, you know, there's something for everyone, I would say, um, within the, the cafe scene. So if you ever go to Korea, in addition to the, the barbecue and the other wonderful foods, I'd recommend checking out the cafes and just getting a taste for some of that experience because there's a lot of different novelties there. Okay, so make your pick. Pick your animal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Choose wisely, though. If you're allergic, uh, uh, choose yeah. <laughs> what about a restaurant? Yeah, so with restaurant, I think that I would have to say um, probably Japan. I I would say try the sushi, try the fresh seafood. I know that sometimes people are a little hesitant to eat the raw fish, but you don't have to go all out and it's, it's not expensive. One of my favorite things about the food over there is that you could go into the local convenience store, the 7-Eleven or the grocery mm. store, get some sushi off the shelf and it will be as fresh and as fresh, good yeah. as some of the best you could get outside of the country. And so uh, that was my favorite, honestly, was getting a selection of sushi, going to a park and then just eating, eating in the park with my family. And it was wonderful. It's, I, Great. It was challenging. It's challenging with a young child to go to restaurants sometimes. But uh, yeah, getting takeout and eating in a park is, is probably our favorite. Good alternative. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. And what about a carte blanche or a spot of your choice? It could be anything. I think probably my favorite thing I've ever done um, was a, a safari in Africa. Uh, we went <laughs> in Tanzania. We were, my wife and I were volunteering at a a compound that had a school, a clinic, and an orphanage all in one compound. And so we spent a few, week, a few weeks volunteering there. And then at the tail end of it, we went on a, a safari for a few days. And we went to Lake Manyara and the Serengeti and Nungorongoro Crater. I probably butchered that anyway. <laughs> but um, they were just absolutely fantastic. The scenery was amazing. And I'm still a child at heart. And so waking up every day with the chance to see lions and rhinos and all the various animals that previously I'd only ever seen in a zoo was absolutely amazing. So probably my favorite thing I'd ever done and would love to do it again sometime. It's pretty magical. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. All right. And last, what is your expat song and why? <laughs> so this, uh, I, I uh, debated, uh, so the very first thought that came to my head, I'm going to share this one, and I debated okay. not doing it because I actually don't like the song very much, but it was the, <laughs> the first song. There's a reason why it came up. <laughs> exactly. There is a reason why it came up. So when my wife and I, we were living in Tonga, and there are three primary island groups in Tonga. So there's the main island of Tonga Tapu, and that has the majority of the population. But most of our time during this field study was spent on the other two island groups, so Haapai and Vava'u. And we stayed with locals. We were living with local in local houses. And island time is a very real concept there. It's very slow pace of life, mm -hmm. very relaxed. Um, when the island, when you can bike from one side of the island to the other fairly quickly, 
there's no hurry to get anywhere because yeah. there's, you know, it's, it's a small island. And so there was a lot of time relaxing, reading, sitting in hammocks. Uh, it was wonderful. But during our, the time in Vava'u where we spent most of our time, the house next door, they had a number of small kids and they loved to play loud pop hit music uh, next to it, which was totally fine. The kids would dance and it was wonderful. But the song that was most commonly played, and this is my expat song, I have very long background to get here, but was Baby by Justin Bieber. <laughs> so, so when you when I when I heard like, hey, I, I need to come up with an expat song, that was the first song that came to mind was Baby by Justin Bieber. And thinking back to that time of sitting on the, the porch, island days. The, the young, young Tongan children just dancing to Baby by Justin Bieber. So that's my expat song. All right. Well, it'll be linked. You can all have a listen again. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for sharing your expat journey, your travels around the world, um, and all these results on the survey and how Americans still need to file taxes when abroad. <laughs> Whether they like it or not. Well, thank you, Pauline. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, wonderful to speak with you today. And thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining. The survey will be linked in the comments. And guys, as usual, if you enjoyed the episode, please put a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can follow all the updates on Instagram. <laughs>